to episode 132 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined as always by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am doing very, very well. One of my best friends got married last weekend. I was in his wedding, a.k.a. Father's Figures on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, for a, a wedding present, uh, or for a groomsman present, or a wedding party present, whatever you want to call it, uh, he gave everyone very specific gifts. Because he said he didn't want to get everyone something that only, you know, would... For one, per- the same thing for the same person, because not everyone likes the same things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we were all very different in our uh, the people that are in his wedding party. So uh, I didn't know what he meant by that, but I had the like the biggest box, if you will, not like like as far as deepness, but like width, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, what's in here? I open it up, and it's a ultimate, or it's the uh, Hasbro build a figure Vulture from uh, Homecoming. Nice. And and I really wanted that. And he's like, I've had that for for you forever. I've been I've just been meaning a good time to give it to you. And I was like, Oh God, I love you. And he also <laughs> got me a Spider-Man red tie. So uh, yeah, my my homie knows knows me well, knows me very well. So thank you and congratulations, uh, Dave and Hannah. I love you guys. And I'm not sure if Dave will listen to this, but if not, if he does, I love you. You know it. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's been it's been good. I'm, I'm really excited. Obviously, Spider-Man's. Uh, my boy, so I'm ready. I'm ready to get started. I I'm um, I, I'm 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 a little unfortunate because I don't know if I'll be able to catch uh, Far From Home more than one time right now. Money's kind of t- is getting tighter and tighter as the days go by, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about it here. So I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, this is going to be our spoiler review, the operative word there being spoiler, of Spider-Man Far From Home. There's already a non-spoiler review available on this podcast feed, so if you haven't seen the movie. Do yourself a favor, listen to that instead. Don't listen to this one until you've had a chance to see the movie. There are some really fun surprises that I think you'll enjoy at least a little bit more if you don't know what they are ahead of time. So best of luck in not being spoiled if you haven't seen the film already. Uh, But for those of you who have seen it, or those of you who just disregard my warnings and just want to go ahead and be spoiled, uh, we will go ahead and continue with our spoiler thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home. So... Before we get into some of the, we're going to get into a lot of the specific details about the movie, but as is custom, although, I mean, we cheated a little bit this time, not that much, Um, from the normal procedures of, I don't know what Paul thinks about these movies until we get started. I have a better idea of what Paul thinks, uh, but I still want to get into a little bit, uh, just for my own understanding, a a better feel of what your overall impression Mm. was with this movie. Because when I saw Spider-Man Far From Home, I loved it, and there were definitely parts of the movie. I figured you would love the movie overall, but there were specific parts, which we will get into later, that I just felt were like Paul Herman dream come true kind of moments Mm -hmm. uh, in this film. And so I got to believe, I was reasonably confident that you would dig this one. Yeah, I I, I definitely liked it, and I, I, I really liked it. There's, I think there's there's things in the movie which we'll get into that I may not it may not be a top tier top ten uh, MCU film which at this point is like busting out of the seams of like yeah, great films. And, yeah, so, at this point my my top ten is annoying because I've got like thirteen in my top ten. So yeah, so I, I don't I don't I want to and and for me Homecoming's in my top ten. So at least for me. And so I, 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 I was really excited because of all the things that you had talked about. I, the trailers looked great. So there, there were things about this movie that I loved. It just, I just didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to, to be honest. And 
that was not – I wouldn't say that's disappointing. It just was kind of like, okay. It just didn't grab me right away or immediately like Homecoming did. Homecoming mm. just made me go, yeah. And I just want – you know, I went and saw it like a couple of days later. And that's why I want to make that very clear is I've only seen this movie once. And I do want to see it again. I just don't know when I'm going to be able to get a chance to do it right now. So – with that being said, yeah, I, I really like this movie. There's lots of great things in it. Um, I think, first of all, I, I think the major strength for me is I, I, lo- I just love Tom Holland's Peter Parker Spider-Man. I yeah. think that he is he's becoming my favorite Spider-Man uh, just because of the fact that he's he's got that youthful energy. He really gets, I think, I, when I think of the overall Peter Parkers we've gotten, he just feels like the most authentic the most, if I had to pick a young a Peter Parker at that age, or a Peter Parker in general, I, I think of you know, let's say you let Tom Hardy age. I'm, I don't think they're going to do that, but let's Tom say, Holland, well, not Tom oh, sorry, Hardy. Yeah. All right, sorry, Tom Holland. <laughs> sorry, so he's English. He's named Tom. Come on. So uh, Tom Holland, you know, having him age in the role, I yeah. think he just would be a perfect mid twenties Spider Man. Like, I just think he's like he's exactly. The, the kind of voice, the kind of de- uh, demeanor, everything about him is perfect as far as his portrayal as Peter, as a whole aesthetic of who he is as a person. That, to me, Tom Holland is able to portray that better than any Peter that I know. I mean, I, th- I think that, like, as far as Peter Parker's go, live action. So that, to me, I, I just love him as Peter. I, I think Spider-Man is, is good, too. It, it's not my favorite Spider-Man. I think my, my favorite Spider-Man still remains to be I think Andrew Garfield to be honest, as far as him in the suit itself um, and and the quips and things like that. But that being said, I think Tom Holland as a whole performance, as a, as a whole Spider-Man and Peter Parker package, he's the whole package. And I think that it, he carries a movie so effortless, 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 effort, effortlessly, <laughs> effort. I can't say the word. Everyone knows I can't say words sometimes. And it's one of those words. But that's Sean said it for me. It's to me, it's it's it, he does without ease. And or with such ease. And so for me, it, it's I, I just I, I'm just drawn to to his his performance all the time. And whether it be the little bit in Infinity War or the, the tiny bit we get him in Endgame, he just gets it. And I love his performance. So and, and obviously Mysterio as well, which we'll get into more of his yep. his uh, his his whole thing. But yeah. as overall, I, I think this movie is is good. I don't know if it's like one of the better MCU films, but that's again, that's almost like a backhanded compliment, if you will. So, I liked I liked Far From Home. I think it was a, a good MCU film. Was it a great MCU film? I need a few more uh, viewings before I really de- definitively say that. But right now, I definitely like the movie. I've definitely got it in the great category for me. Is it in that Marvel masterpiece collection that I've got? Not so sure about that, uh, but. I don't try to, so far, as of this recording, I've seen Spider-Man Far From Home twice. I'll probably see it at least uh, two or three more times. I'll probably get up to five on this one. I'll try uh, to get up to five uh, before they boot it out of Dolby and IMAX if I can. Um, I haven't had a chance to see it in 3D yet, uh, but I will try with IMAX Laser 3D because I've actually heard the uh, Mysterio illusion sequences in 3D are pretty great. So I will try to check it out in that format. Um, but as is the case, I, I try not to immediately rank these things, even Spider-Man Homecoming, because Spider-Man Homecoming for me is a film that even though I loved it the first time I saw it, my appreciation for that film actually grew with each passing viewing, including when it when I had it at home and just putting it on and 
just enjoying that movie more and more each time I rewatch it. And so I want to see if something like that also happens with Far From Home. Uh, but I can say just based off of the first viewing and then after the second, I really do love this movie. And there's a lot to love about it. Peter Parker, uh, Tom Holland as Peter Parker in Spider-Man. He's my favorite for each side of the character and the, mm. the overall package. I think he's just extraordinary in this role. Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. There's just so many great things going on. And John Watts, too, is the, the director on this. Uh, he carries, he's moving things forward, but at the same time, he doesn't forget to capture some of that feel of uh, that, that made Spider-Man Homecoming so special and that these are just kids being awkward, goofy kids. And I, yeah. I love everything mm-hmm. about that. John Watts just gets high school kids in a way that uh, in a way that the Spider-Man franchise never has. You know, it's like it's it's playing dress up in high school for other iterations. But for this one, it all just feels very, very, uh, very natural in the way these uh, characters interact with one another. There's just so many great things going on. And I think John Mm -hmm. Watts does a does a really good job of keeping a handle on just that overall package of the humor, the heart. Uh, the action, the suspense, everything, the drama, everything that goes into uh, these movies and always comes up with great ways to challenge Peter Parker. And also uh, Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, the screenwriters on this one, did a really terrific job. Uh, But before we get into uh, Peter Parker's arc in this and go through Mysterio, a a huge part of Spider-Man Far From Home, I think actually takes place in the beginning because there were a lot of questions coming uh, coming off of Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. How do things work right now in the MCU? And if this is going to be um, the, the last film in Phase 3, the last film of the Infinity Saga, how is it going to tie some things up? Um, and I think the movie overall does a pretty good job of that. And I love the you know, the student-made video with I Will Always Love You with the in-memoriam of people. Interesting enough that uh, Captain America shows up in the in-memoriam. So is, are we meant to believe that everybody in the MCU considers Steve Rogers to be dead? Yeah, I, if you're I, not- I did. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what uh, I mean. I don't think he's dead. Obviously, we saw it last. We saw he's still an old an old guy. But as far as the rest of the world knows, yeah, I guess Captain America died um, during uh, the events of uh, Avengers Endgame. Perhaps during that same final battle. Uh, but what's also interesting here is the timetable. So they actually say during this new segment with Betty Brant and Jason Ionello that uh, you ha- that the movie takes place eight months after Avengers Endgame. And so uh, an entire school year has gone by. So remember, Avengers Endgame wrapped up in 2023. So if we're talking about the end of a school year eight months later uh, and everybody's getting out of school for summer vacation, then we're in like, depending on when the school gets out, either May or June approximately of 2024, uh, just if you're trying to keep your MCU timeline in order. So the snap is now the blip. And I think they played with some. I, I I love the way that they played with this, like having the marching band on the basketball oh. court and getting mm-hmm. it like. Mm-hmm. And for those who say, like, well, this is proof that anybody who was in a plane when they blipped, like, that means they're dead. Like, they're going to get, they're going to reappear in the sky and fall to their death. I don't think so. I go with Kevin Feige's explanation that the, that Hulk is smart enough, and even the Infinity Gauntlet itself with the Mind Stone, I think it's smart enough to, you know, somebody getting hit in the head. I think it's fine, you know, bringing somebody back to get hit in the head with a basketball, less so to bring them back in midair. I think it would bring everybody back safely. So I don't really think that blows up any of those things. Um, but it does create a lot of problems. Like we see May explains what happened to her, but she appears uh, when, when she reappeared from the blip, all of a sudden she had, uh, there were new people in her apartment. And now you have people who are homeless being displaced. And that's what they're raising money for. And I love Peter Parker actually doing that or Spider-Man actually making an appearance with May to help raise money and do those kinds of things, which is very much a Peter Parker, Spider-Man and Aunt May yes. kind of thing. Um, so all that's very authentic. But I thought this was the right way to do it, to not bog down this story too much with 
all the different minutia of the snap slash the blip to just let's just have a little bit of fun with it. And then let's focus on what we really care about, which is the loss of Tony Stark and seeing that weighing on Peter, because that's what really matters here. Not every single like if, how and why everything comes back together after Endgame. Yeah, that was I'll be honest. I was really jazzed. Uh, I just said jazz, by the way. It's really weird. Um, <laughs> I, I got really I was really jazzed by the very beginning of this movie. I love the idea besides like the, the funny uh, I will always love you. Uh, by Whitney Houston slash Dolly Parton. She wrote yep. the song. Yes, she did. Uh, but but yeah, I loved all of that because this to me, when, whenever you're I'm a, again, I'm a big continuity person and people who listen to the show for a while know that I love when when things are they really all kind of go in and out of each other, dovetail each other. And I think that that's a very comic book trope continuity, if you will. And to me, Marvel does a masterful, masterful job, which we'll get into even further in the show here in a second about certain characters. But all that being said, I love the idea of them kind of explaining everything. And they do a great job of explaining mm-hmm. the, everything already in universe and do a great job of so that way the layman people that are just, you know, average Marvel moviegoers who just may watch these movies, you know, off and on throughout the year or whatever. But they do a great job of explaining everything and really going through and like making everyone understand everything from the whole kit and caboodle. And it may, it all, you know, makes sense to an extent. Obviously I was, I was, I was listening to a podcast today saying like, this doesn't really make sense if that really all happened. I'm like, man, you're thinking way too much of this, you know? <laughs> so which again, I, I understand, I understand. But for me, it's like, I don't want to think that hard, Yeah. you know, but I think, I think Kevin Feige and Marvel do a great job of giving us an example of how this works, how the schematics work of everything. And I, I really like the idea of the fallout, seeing the fallout mm-hmm. of the snap slash the blip. I love them calling it the blip, how it affects the high school students and whatnot. I love the idea. I love what he says. I was my older brother, my older brother is now my younger brother or, yeah. or, or yeah, yeah. whatever. Right? Back yeah. Back. My younger brother's. Yeah. It's like <laughs> my little brother is older than me now. Yeah. It's yeah. math. <laughs> yeah. It's math. I, I thought that was so funny. And there's lots of great moments yeah. of this, of this movie that I thought that were like, that played off those ideas. I thought were great. So it was a great introduction to this movie. I thought to have that, you know, again, with Spider-Man far from home being the first end game or first post end game film, it was a great, uh, a great introduction to the movie. I thought with, 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 with what, what they did and everything. So yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. I think it was a great way of just, giving everybody kind of what they needed to know with some of that fallout and, and answering some of those questions in a, in a fun way um, without trying to bog things down too much. And and as I said, you just have to get into what's the real emotional through line for this story coming out of Endgame. And it's the loss of Tony Stark. It's the loss of the mentor slash friend slash father figure that Peter Parker had. Uh, and Tony was very important to Peter. And we saw, uh, we saw that relationship from Civil War all the way through Avengers Endgame and the way that Peter was immediately affected when he saw Tony dying in Avengers Endgame. And so, you know, I, I think focusing on that and making that part of the storyline, uh, it was it was essential to this. And But it also gave a lot of it put Peter in a very interesting place, not just in terms of him, his emotions as far as grieving for the loss of Tony Stark. But uh, it really was fueling a lot of the other decisions that he was making, good and bad throughout this movie. I mean, him just wanting a break. You know, I know that was something that you were a little concerned about co- based on the trailers and things of this idea of Peter Parker wanting a, a little bit of a break. But 
I think the way that they handle it in the movie, it, it really does make sense at the point where Peter just it's not that he wants to give up being Spider-Man. He doesn't want to give up being Spider-Man. He just needs a minute uh, mm -hmm. because, as we see, I mean, he's been helping out. He's been Spider-Man doing charity appearances, presumably fighting crime, which, I mean, we didn't see. There was a sequence in the trailer that we didn't see uh, where yeah, he's joking yeah, about yeah. the cops about doing their job. Um, and there were some things that I know got cut out, but I don't think they cut anything that needed to be in there based on the stuff that we saw in trailers but didn't see here. I, I felt like the main thing that we needed was... Uh, you know, the, the emotional place that Peter Parker was in this story. And Tom Holland's just so good at that. Yeah. Uh, I, I know it's not effortless, uh, as you were saying, but he makes it look that way uh, yes. in, the way he, in the way he performs, the way he portrays this character. And he's just able to bring all of it. Um, and he can just switch it on a dime from, the, from the, the more charming, funny side of Peter Parker to just the awkward, dorky kid to uh, somebody who is feeling a tremendous amount of pain and is devastated by this uh, this personal loss, but it's what makes Peter Parker perfectly vulnerable in the story. And that's part of Peter Parker in the comic books is that this mm -hmm. is still a vulnerable, insecure kid who is prone to making decisions that aren't always the best. And even though they might have the best intentions, you know, it was a really great thing to show him struggling with this idea of being the new being the new Iron Man, getting the glasses from Nick Fury slash Talos. We'll get to that. Uh, getting the glasses with for the next Tony Stark, I trust you, TS. And then, I, by the way, the Edith joke, even dead, I'm the hero, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was true. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, Tony Stark, for oh, sure. Brilliant. Um, so anyway, you know, having him uh, seeing that Tony's entrusted this to him, but not feeling like he's ready for it, and that pretty much leads him down to, and, and the way Mysterio preys on that, and we'll get more into Mysterio in, in a bit, is just, it's fantastic i just love the way that plays out in the story uh, but for peter parker not feeling like he's ready to be the new iron man finding someone he thinks is that that that's the right person and then misinterpreting what tony meant you know taking it from tony stark trusting him to be the next iron man to uh reinterpreting that to find to see it as this is tony's way of saying he's trusting me to find out who the next iron man is and, and bestow this power upon them bestow edith and everything else um, and it's just kind of Peter Parker looking for an out of that responsibility because he just doesn't know how to process it. I, I don't, it's not like he's consciously looking for an out, but I think subconsciously he is because this is just where he's at as a kid who's feeling way too much pressure when he's in a particularly vulnerable moment uh, in his life. And he's just trying to find some sort of balance because it's been all it's been all superheroes and space and tragedy and all of this stuff. And he's gotten further and further away from this idea of being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that he made a decision to, he made a conscious decision to be at the end of homecoming and he didn't really get an opportunity to uh, stay in that role for as long as he wanted. And so he's just, uh, as is always the case with Peter Parker, trying to find that balance between, I know what I need to do as Spider-Man. I know the responsibility that I have as Spider-Man, but I got to feel like I have some responsibility to myself and what I want uh, and that includes trying to figure out being on this class trip and, and try to be with the girl he likes. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of understanding Peter and and the differences between what they're doing in the MCU version of Spider-Man and to the traditional Stan Lee, Steve Ditko comic books. And there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of people online who want to say that Spider-Man in the MCU is Iron Man Jr. Now. I'm one of the people that kind of splits the difference a little bit. I understand completely 
I, I totally understand where people get that from. And I think that's definitely, there's definitely elements there, obviously. I mean, there's, you have John Watts talking about how he considers Tony Stark to be the Uncle Ben of the MCU. Now, obviously, it's even he would admit that's not completely true, but there is that the overall theme. Well, of... it's not a it's not a literal thing, though. Like, yes, right, right. there are things with Tony Stark that, you know, that would be in common. Of It's not Tony Stark is 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 here instead of Uncle Ben in this universe. Uncle Ben existed. It's his initials on Peter's suitcase. We didn't see him in this universe or we haven't yet seen him in this universe. But we all know why. It's because we already saw it twice. You know, people right. complain all the time about. How many times do we have to watch Bruce Wayne's parents die in a movie before everybody just says, yeah, we know? And I think that's kind of what it is with Uncle Ben. People saw it twice in two very high-profile Spider-Man origin movies. We didn't need to go through that again. But in the same, but obviously there's a lot of things in common. And that's part of why, I think it's the loss of Uncle Ben. Granted, we're not necessarily seeing it. But Peter refers to it in his first scene with Tony back in Captain America Civil War. And he... And I think part of why he loves Tony Stark so much and why he connected with that character, they have a lot in common as far as being tech geniuses and and being the smartest kids in the room and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's also what Peter was looking for, having not having Uncle Ben in his life when he saw somebody else who was an Uncle Ben type of mentor mm-hmm. and father figure. That's why Peter latched on to him. So it, right. in those ways, Tony Stark is kind of like Uncle Ben, but he's not literally Uncle Ben as if he never existed in this timeline. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, that's I think John Watts was saying that he's like the second Uncle Ben to Peter. And now, again, I've always said this about the MCU version of Spider-Man. It's going to be different because of the the literal um, things that have happened before him, and he's going to be transformed by the, the 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 all the events that have happened before him as well, and this celebrity status of Iron Man during the, you know these things are just going to be different. So with with all that being said, I really have accepted a lot of and I, I don't mind the di- different directions they've gone in. And I've actually eased on the idea of, of Peter wanting to break because of all the things we kind of talked about, Sean, like the fact that he basically died for five years and came back. That's yeah. a heavy thing. And so with all and I had I didn't know that going into when we saw these trailers for Far From Home. I just thought, oh, he's, you know, why is, you know, Spider-Man should always do this. There is, there's definitely moments of like, like this in the comic books where he needs a break. I, I remember yeah. even talking about. That um, would happen in Stan, even in Stan Lee's issues, Peter Parker would be, he wouldn't, he wouldn't always go on a break, but he would still even get fed up sometimes and say, oh, why do I do this all the time? Like I should just right. be me. And there were times where he would just, you know, maybe go out for a night or a day by himself and try not to be Spider-Man. And then inevitably get pulled out, you know, gets pulled back into being Spider-Man. Like, that's kind of the way it is with Peter Parker is right. he'll always, you know, not always, he will frequently try to push back on the idea of, of being Spider-Man all the time. But whenever Spider-Man's needed, he's going to show up. He can't help himself. And that's part of what makes him a hero. It's it's not that he doesn't, it's not that he never has any sort of selfish instinct whatsoever. It's that ultimately when push comes to shove, his sense of responsibility is going to override his sense of doing the right thing is going to override uh, any selfish instincts he might have. Right. And so with all of that, Peter is always going to be Spider-Man. And then that to me, that's one of the strengths I think far from home really, you know, plays upon. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think homecoming did a great job of showing kind of the modern 
Spider-Man kind of updating him a little bit, giving him a friend with Ned Leeds, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that this is a different iteration of giving the, the fans of kind of a different idea of Peter, of a kid going through a lot and all of that and giving us, you know, what Spider-Man would go through to, to go through um, the ideas of being a hero at that age, et cetera, et cetera. I, I really bought into it and I don't really, I understand the criticisms of, Iron Man Jr. or whatever. This is not my Spider-Man. But again, when I when I look at it from the perspective of a more a, a less again, he's 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 he has these heroes before him. He's gone through to space. He's died for five years. There's a lot going on with this character. The more than what we got in the Stan Lee Steve Ditko run. There's there's just he's a lot, there's a lot more depth to him and a lot and a lot more experience that we're we're getting. And I also think what I what I love the idea is and again not everyone's gonna love this idea, but we're talking about Spider-Man here. I was just gonna go ahead and jump to it. That you talked about it as being the the next Iron Man. And and again, what what Tony was trying to say was you know Iron Man being who you are, like mm-hmm. being that next. Not necessarily the next Iron Man, but the next important member of the Avengers. And that's exactly what I got from what Tony was pushing Spider-Man to be, to be that tech person, to be the the hero who's going to look after everyone like he knows he would be. Because, you know, one thing they talked about, and I, I again, I, I've heard someone kind of criticize a little bit about Peter, that his, that his role or his... Uh, his uh, arc is kind of all over the place in this movie. And I would push back a little bit from that because I feel... I'll push that... back a lot of bit on that. Because... Oh, okay. But yeah, let, let me, let me yeah, finish. Yeah, go for it. So, so what I would say is this. For me, I think that with, with Iron Man and, and, and the, the ghost of Tony Stark with Edith and all of that, to me, I, I, I bought into the idea that he was telling Peter to embrace being Spider-Man. That's what being the that's what that's what embracing Iron Man is to be the next Iron Man to embrace yourself as Spider-Man and graduate from the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which Tony was kind of pushing on him to or encouraging him because he already was he already was the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but he was pushing that more and more. And now he's like, you know what, kid, you're ready. You're ready to be embrace that hero. Mm-hmm the aspect that you need to be. And I feel that that was, that's what this movie was. And I think that, you know, again, I think Tony also knew after all he's gone through, he may not, you know, again, as a kid, you're not going to be sure of what you want to do. Do you want to be a superhero the rest of your life or your life? These are things that I, I, a normal kid would go through. And again, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, you know, did that a little bit into the comic book. So we get in the, or at least for Romita and Spider, uh, and Stan Lee with Spider-Man. But what I think with this is they're, they're, they're tackling it, they're tackling it on a different aspect with Tony and using that as an idea that, listen, Spider-Man, you may not want to be that, that big hero, or you may, it may be overwhelming, but be the next Iron Man, be the next person to embrace that. Cause that's what Tony eventually did. And that's what that's why he became the hero that he did. And, I, and I'm not saying Spider-Man needed that to like be a superhero, obviously, but I think that he knew as a 16-year-old kid he's gonna have trouble accepting that at times, especially after all the hardships that he got from everything. And he knew that he's gonna struggle at this if you know if he were to come back from the blip or the snap or whatever. He knew that this is gonna be a problem for him. And he wanted to encourage him if he wasn't around. So I think that that was. I like and I love that idea. I embrace that. And I, I saw it all over the place. And I also love the idea that 
Kevin Feige, you know, he talked about he, he's going to make nine more MCU Spider-Man films. Well, to me, they're pretty much shoving him right into that picture of the new Avengers team whenever that team is going to be announced. People will get announced in San Diego Comic-Con in a few weeks here. But either way, I love the idea that they're pushing us like they're not, they're not shying away of the importance of Spider-Man. In fact, they're only pushing it forward like, hey, you know what? Spider-Man's going to be a big deal in the MCU. Here's why. Bam, bam, bam. And I love that. And I think that's what, to me, what Tony Stark's whole life, it's almost like the there's the meta version, you know? The, and that's what Tony's saying. Like, you're going to be the next Iron Man as far as the the people that everyone, the, the hero that everyone's going to go to and love and and want to be to be with. And, and, and also Kevin Feige on the, the regular, you know, regular level of saying, yes, this is Spider-Man's an important character, and this is why going forward. So it worked for me on all levels, and that's why I think this movie's strength is, and that's that's what I clung to the most. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's it's it is about Peter Parker being Spider-Man, but it's in terms of the arc, it's about Peter Parker realizing that he just needs to keep being Peter Parker. He needs to keep being Spider-Man, and that's enough. When Tony's talking about for the next Iron Man, I trust you. He's not saying, I need you to become me. He's saying, I trust you. I already trust you. That you are the person who I think can carry the, can carry things forward into the future. And it's such a great thing where, I mean, I think people look at it from the perspective of, you know, the comedy bit with the whole Peter tingle. But that stuff has happened in comic books. It also happened in a previous version of a Spider-Man 2, where when Peter Parker is having some emotional issues... Sometimes that manifests physically and his power is not necessarily working. And so, like, why isn't the spider sense uh, preventing him from getting hit in the face with a banana? And so some of that is, you know, I love how that kind of plays in what some people some people have been complaining about the spider sense, not necessarily being consistent in the MCU. Um, and I think this is a way of explaining, well, it's not always consistent because it can sometimes be reflective of how much Peter Parker is trusting himself, how sure of himself he is. And so in this movie, he doesn't he doesn't know where he's at, you know, emotionally. He's trying to figure things out. He's devastated by the loss of Tony Stark. He has feelings for MJ. He doesn't know exactly how he wants to communicate that. He's trying to figure that out. He also just needs a break. And he still feels a sense of responsibility uh, to his community, to the neighborhood as Spider-Man. And then there's this pressure of people asking him, are, are you the head Avenger? Are you going to be the next Iron Man? All of these kinds of things weighing on him. And it's that conversation with Happy where it, I think it really hits to one of those key thematic elements here, which is that when Happy tells him, you're not going to be Iron Man. Nobody can live up to Iron Man, not even Tony. And that's where what uh, Happy is telling him, and that's a key thing for Peter to realize, is the difference between the man and the myth. You have the myth out there that Iron Man is this ultimate hero, that Tony Stark was the guy and everything he did was perfect, but Peter didn't see all the things that we saw as viewers of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We saw Tony screw up a bunch of times. You think Peter screwed up in uh, in Spider-Man Far From Home? I would argue it's not as bad as Tony screwed up in Age of Ultron. So, I mean, like Tony made mistakes throughout his Great time point. in the MCU. Mm, and point. Happy says that, like, he was a mess. He second-guessed himself all the time, and it points to that. Like, we see our heroes out there. We see people who, you know, have achieved something that we think is greater than anything we've ever achieved, and we put them up on this pedestal, and it's as if they can do and have done no wrong, and we feel like we can't possibly get to where they're at. Where they're at. 
The truth is, even they are not where we think they're at. Or, or even if they're at this certain place with this certain status that we've assigned to them, it doesn't mean they feel that way. It doesn't mean that uh, they stop being, they cease to be human. It doesn't mean they become perfect. It doesn't mean that they are no longer subject to the same kind of self-doubt that we can all be subject that we can all be subject to. So that's part of what Peter Parker is having to learn is that Tony himself wasn't the myth. Tony was just Tony. There's the myth of Iron Man, but that's not actually who Tony was. And so that's what Peter Parker has to separate from it. I can't be the myth of Iron Man, and I can't be the myth of Tony Stark. I've just got to be the best version of me. And I, I love that, and I love that he embraces that. He starts having fun, and he gets into uh, you know, designing his, uh, designing his suit. I know it's all Tony Stark set, uh, Tony Stark tech and stuff in there, but it's still Peter Parker making the decisions and, des- and designing the new suit. All of that is so key, and just the way he, gets, he becomes confident with that. It actually reminds me of Tony Stark in a Marvel movie that I will defend till the day I die, which is Iron Man 3, I do think there were some parallels there with Tony dealing with his post-traumatic stress. And, you know, he, yeah. was, kind of, he was broken down in that film. And so you see Peter Parker going, it's, it's a different experience, but there are some similarities. And what was the turning point for Tony? It was when he has that conversation with Harley and he says, well, and Harley said, well, you're a mechanic, right? Yeah, well, why don't you just build something? And so a huge part of Tony's turning point in that film is to just simplify it. Stop thinking about him. Stop thinking about himself as Iron Man or the myth of Tony Stark. Just boil it down to the basics of who he is, a guy who invents things, a guy who tinkers with things. And that's how he gets himself back in uh, in Iron Man 3. And Peter Parker goes through a similar experience here where he's too focused on becoming the myth, where he needs to realize, like, just be you. You are already good enough. Tony picked you because of who you already were, not just because of who you would become, but because of who you already were. Granted, He's still a kid, so yes, he's going to become uh, he's going to become better. He's going to become smarter. He's going to make better decisions. All of those kinds of things, but there's a core element to who Peter Parker already is. That's what was most essential to Tony Stark choosing him uh, and entrusting him with Edith. And it's Peter Parker coming to that realization uh, and that belief in himself. That is the fulfillment of his arc in this movie. Now, it all gets a lot of stuff is going to get thrown out of whack because of the mid credit scene uh, creates yeah. a whole, but it's a whole different challenge for him now. Um, you know, he has a different, uh, he's got a new baseline for himself by the end of this movie. And that's why I think his arc is so great in Spider Man Far From Home. And Tom Holland plays it perfectly step for step. And he's matched up with the right characters because that's why Happy Hogan, it's not just because that's why Happy Hogan makes so much sense in this story. Yeah, there's the it's it's fun seeing the little uh, relationship or dating between Happy Hogan and, and Aunt May. Like I loved all that stuff. It was a lot of fun. But the happy what the reason Happy Hogan is in this movie is because it takes Tony's best friend, the guy who knew Tony Stark better than anybody except Pepper Potts, to actually kind of strip away the myth for Peter Parker to actually show him. Well, this was the guy. Um, so don't hold yourself to stop holding yourself to the myth. Tony Stark was a man. You're a man. You just have to be. You you just have to be yourself, um, and that's good enough because Tony already thought Tony already thought you were good enough, and I, I love that. Like I, I just love that so much about uh, Peter's arc in this movie. Yeah, and I think that there's. I think that the MCU has done has done a pretty good job of updating and giving us a di- again. I like the idea of giving us a different Peter, but the essence is all still there, and I think that to me has always been. 
at least, again, it's all subjective, right? We all have different opinions and we all are going to argue, can argue one way or another and, and whatever. But for me, I, I, even though I understand where people's criticisms of the MCU Spider-Man, the, the way, again, I'm a Spider-Man purist and, and Sean knows this, like Sean knows I, I have deep, I'm very ca- cautious and careful with things. But I think the one thing that I've, I've over the last, I'd say year or last, yeah, last uh, year and a half, two years almost now, we've had the Spider-Man renaissance where Spider-Man really has outgrown the old Peter Parker tradition with, you know, not just Into the Spider-Verse, which is a masterpiece, but probably with uh, the PS4 game, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's, you know, as far as his, you know, different things, different interpretations, and you've got the MCU. So you've got three majorly different interpretations of, of Peter Parker and then when you look at them, one is more traditional. I'd say the PS4 game, but it definitely updates things. You've got a, a definitely a different idea of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse when you have him age to be our age, basically, and have him be that kind of like, you know, down and out kind of character, which, again, there's people would criticize a lot of what, say, I, don't want, I hate to bring in Star Wars into it, but Luke Skywalker. And again, whether you not agree or disagree with that. There's, there's people who think that that's not the characterization of Luke. Where you look at Spider-Man, that wasn't the characterization of Peter Parker. You know, would he have given up like he did almost in that movie? Or it would hard, you'd be hard pressed to think that that would be the case. But it's done so, it's written so well, you don't care. And I think that for me, I've kind of seen this kind of already happen with with the MCU version of Peter Parker. It just it feels right, and I think that for me, again, for me as a as a, a hardcore Spider-Man fan, it makes sense, and I don't mind what they've done. The updating, I, I don't mind the idea that he's using a lot of Tony Stark tech or or whatever, or the fact that maybe he d- he did try to go leave home without the Spider-Man suit. And again, these are all things that I don't necessarily disagree with and i think the mcu has done a great job of growing peter parker at a fast pace and again i keep forgetting he's only supposed to be 16 years old he he said that and i'm like ah it's it's, i gotta remember that he's 16 years old and he tried to leave his spider-man suit at home for a one or two week trip i mean it's really not that big of a thing and when i look at some of the changes that that we see with peter parker and spider-man in the mcu I don't see them as being any more drastic than we've seen for other heroes. And, and Spider-Man doesn't get to be precious in that respect of, well, everybody else has their has certain elements of their story uh, adapted a bit as we tell the story of the MCU, except Spider-Man. It doesn't make sense because too many other things have already happened in the MCU with its timeline uh, that it just makes sense for things to fit the way that they do. And you can do that. You can make Peter Parker fit within the larger context of the MCU, and it just makes all the sense in the world for Peter Parker in this timeline to have looked up to Tony Stark and all the different things without going back through all of it. Uh, but it all just makes sense with the way that it fits. But they're still able to let Peter Parker be Peter Parker in these uh, in these films, and so that's really what it boils down to for me: is that there might be certain elements that that don't match up here or there with uh, with the source material. But even the, as I said, there are plenty of times I've, I've read the comics <laughs> with Peter Parker where he gets fed up for a second with the idea of being Spider-Man. And so I think this is just the MCU version of it, of Peter Parker, where it's just, it's too much right now, I need a break. But in the end, even without his spider suit, for example, this is where the Venice trip is so important. He has no suit. Does he just sit there and not try to save everybody? Nope. 
he jumps right into action. Like that's that's Peter Parker. So he might think in his head and he might say in his head that he doesn't want to do it right now. But when people are in trouble, he's going to help. That's what he did, whether there's a suit or not. And that that as much as anything is what makes Peter Parker Spider-Man. Well, and I think that also you you have the Parker luck is there. There's still bad luck for him. I think there's still he's still struggling to be a normal kid, and and, and that's all important for me. And if 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 you're wondering if let's say there's people out there who disagree who who are listening to this, if they're wondering, well, what is your definition of Peter Parker? For me, what the essence of Peter Parker is is that he has when bad even though all these bad things happen to him, and he doesn't seem like he can get away from. The the Spider-Man uh, curse, if you will, of being the with great power comes great responsibility. As long as that's there and it's it's utilized in some way, and maybe he might, and again, Peter can make mistakes and he can turn his back on pe- being Spider-Man. But ultimately, there has to be a good reason. And I think everything that I've gotten from that from this movie, and again. In the, in, the, in the essence of the MCU, I have to put my MCU rose-covered glasses on it because this is not the original continuity Spider-Man. I, if, if they were trying to, if they tried to do this, in my opinion, in the comic books, which again, there's a lot of Dan Slott stuff. People say that wasn't it, but whatever. I think it was. But that being said, it all is there for me. It all rings true to Spider-Man. You know, there is progression with the character, but there's still the essence is still there, and it's all there. Parker Luck is there. He's nervous. He's a he's a normal kid. He's a normal normal person mm-hmm. that is trying to be a superhero, and that's all there in this movie. Now, granted, he's given things like the Edith technology. It's all there though. He makes mistakes. He gives it over because again, you talk about the idea of Iron Man, and he's you know he's he's trying to do the right thing. He thinks he misinterprets a lot of what's going yeah. on from Iron Man because he's a kid. And he gives it to someone that he reminds him of Iron Man that looks like a self-made man like Iron Man in Mysterio. Mm-hmm. And he gives it to him because that's what we as as, as a person, as a young person would do. Because I've, I've been I've been very lucky to have a few mentors in my life, whether it be young mentors or older mentors in my life. And I'll be honest, like there are times that I, I could totally relate to just being like, you know, it's yours. Just just take it away from me. I think it's a good thing when a 16-year-old kid realizes uh, or thinks that he shouldn't have that much power. Yeah. You know, like it's, I, I think exactly. I think that's a good thing. I think that speaks actually – is the decision great? Ultimately, no. Uh, but that's also part of Mysterio's whole thing. And, and this is all part of um, – you know, and, and not all of this can be charged to Peter Parker either, by the way. He doesn't know that it's a scroll version of Nick Fury and Maria Hill there. Like, they've signed off on this guy. They think he's good. Peter's now fought with him a couple times, thinks he's good. And Peter says, okay, well, I don't think I'm the right guy. I did accidentally order a drone strike on one of my classmates and had to fix that before anybody got killed. Like, so... I don't know that I'm ready for this. And so I feel, and this guy seems like he's got his stuff together and he is ready for it. So, and and that to me is just the brilliance of Mysterio. And also, you know, maybe, you know, Talos not being all that smart, but that's part of the brilliance of Mysterio. And that's what I want to, I wanted to make sure we get to Mysterio here. Um, I feel like we just totally whiffed on some of this stuff <laughs> like and i i applaud marvel studios for being able to hide a lot of this stuff the way that they did because you and i were racking our brains on this like what's the deal with this we we didn't even with the uh the trailer that came out after endgame and all the multiverse stuff and 
and everything. We're like, well, you can't trust Mysterio. You can't trust anything that he says. Uh, we don't know what the deal is with him or these elementals, but we know that ultimately we're anticipating that this guy's going to make a villain turn. So the villain turn isn't what was surprising. Uh, what was surprising, because we couldn't really figure out how exactly these things were going to be illusions. Yeah, like, mm-hmm, yeah. Granted, we didn't know that Tony Stark had a massive satellite with like a bajillion drones in it <laughs> that could do with holographic projectors and everything. But that's the brilliance of the MCU is they can always add things like that. And it makes sense that it exists and they actually attach it to previous things. So having that surprise that Quentin Beck worked for Stark Industries, all these people worked for Stark Industries. And that's how they knew about Edith and all of these things. And so they come up with this plan for this hero uh, in order to earn the trust of Nick Fury and then Peter Parker. And even the order in which he does those things, because Mysterio encounters Fury and Hill, not really them, but as far as he knows, Fury and Hill before Peter Parker, because I think he knows that Peter's more likely to trust him if if those people have already signed off on him. So getting all of that information, uh, being able to... uh, ultimately get uh, get access to Edith. And Jake Gyllenhaal, I mean, he was great as Mysterio, the phony hero, but once he turns it on after he gets the glasses, it's just unbelievable. And I was totally geeking out. I mean, I, I, I figured something was up, as like we all did. Like, we can't trust that Mysterio is going to be a good guy. So that was my question. My biggest question for Mysterio is, how are they going to make it surprising when he turns out to be a villain? They were able to do that with the backstory him being the guy who worked on barf and having it being upset that it was named that way. And I think having him be a tech guy, as opposed to, um, you know, a, a, a former stunt man slash visual effects wizard, that was never really going to translate in the MCU. So this was a good change to his backstory and the way they even brought it all the way back to having Peter Billingsley from the first Iron Man movie. Hilarious. Just amazing and Peter Billingsley by the way also was an EP on the first Iron Man movie but he had his brief appearance where he was yelled at for you know Tony being a by Obadiah Stane for Tony being able to build a mini arc reactor in a cave with a box of scraps that that character is back in this uh, and tied to the whole thing that's part of the beauty of this movie serving as the the end of the you know the the end of the Infinity Saga because this one goes back and has this reference that goes all the way to uh, to Iron Man 1 I absolutely loved it I saw him you know, in the left of the frame where I'm like, I think that's Peter Billingsley. And then as he was walking around, I'm like, okay. And I see, like, I'm figuring, okay, like, we're going to get a turn here for Mysterio. And I'm like, okay, so did they bring him in to play a new character or is he the same guy? And then they show the flashback. I'm like, he's the same guy. And I just, I absolutely loved it. But this whole, the whole mechanics of Mysterio and, and the setup for his villain turn and the backstory with, because we, we expected some level of adaptation. We talked about it on the Marvel Unlimited Book Club. We talked about it um, in previous episodes of this podcast. We talked about this idea that we expected Mysterio to go through some level of adaptation and felt like he kind of needed to. Uh, and yeah. I love the solutions that Marvel Studios came up with for this character. And, and Jake Gyllenhaal was so great, especially uh, once we saw Quentin Beck as, as, he, as who he truly was. There's okay the Mysterio character and this interpretation. There's a lot to talk about, so I'm, I might go on for a little bit. So bear with me here, everyone. So first of all, Mysterio's I, I've gone on record, not, never been one of my major favorite villains. I've always loved the design of Mysterio, but never been one of my favorites just to read about, etc. So with all that being said, I I was very excited. I think they they nailed the, the look of Mysterio was perfect. Which it was pitch perfect. I, I don't think you could get any better than what they've done. Um, so with all of that, we, 
if for people who are a part of the Marvel Newscast Patreon, you're you're gonna you're missing out on something we we talked about on uh, the Marvel Book Club show. We talked about the continuity and, and the retconning, and if you will, from in the comic books, it, really quickly. Uh, there's there's the retcon Mysterio and his basically his first appearance as retcon. If you want to know what that is, go to our Patreon, listen to that show. It's a great show. We break down comics. But anyway, interesting that, that you mentioned our Patreon, Paul, because I have some folks to thank while we're on the subject. Very oh, quickly, why don't you, yeah, go ahead, please. <laughs> so thank you very much to Joe Procillo, or Procillo. Dallin Smith and Rondell or Rondell Dobard, they are actually the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, which means they have access to content from this show that's not available anywhere else. We have Patreon credit scenes, where for this week, we, we as we normally do, we take uh, our main topic, we discuss an additional subject. And so for this one, we're going to be talking about what that mid credit scene means for the next Marvel Studios Spider-Man solo film. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about Avengers Tower, which we didn't get uh, a, a definitive resolution on in this film. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that on the Patreon credit scene. That, those, along with 24-hour early access to the podcast, are available for just a dollar a month. But we also have a brand new tier structure starting this month that took effect back on July 1st. So if you are in that $1 tier... Uh, you also get to listen to a weekly Q&A episode. So every every week you get to listen to a Q&A episode. If you want to submit questions and join our Discord, uh, which is exclusive to our Patreon community, that is available for $3 a month on our Patreon. We also have our version of the Daily Bugle. So it's a Monday through Friday news show that I host on the Marvel Studios News Patreon. That's just $5 a month. And then we have even more tiers that have other exclusives like the Marvel Unlimited Book Club. And also we're going to be adding some commentary tracks to our Patreon. So for more information, oh, and also with all of these exclusives that you get and with the audio, you get your own RSS feed or your own RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. So that way you can subscribe to it, get the main show 24 hours early and get all of your other exclusives in one feed. You don't have to track things down in multiple places. And so for more information on all of those tiers and all of the exclusives that we have available, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Back to you, Paul. Ah, thank you. So as we were talking about, you'll hear me talk about the some of the retconning, if you will, that Marvel Comics is, you know, in comic book world in general loves to do. What I love is that the MCU embraces retconning and loves to intertwine continuity. Again, I bring up that continuity aspect. I love what they do. So they take a character like Mysterio, and like you said, Sean, there's not a lot they can do with them as far as the movie magic kind of guy and that he's a stuntman. Instead, they update it. And what they do is they make him part, the guy who basically created the barf Thing that he uses in uh, Civil War, and that is just genius. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they use all the disgruntled employees from Stark. And again, you're taking a character and all these different things and the fallout of Tony Stark, and again, the, the ramifications of what he does, and you're using that to booster or booster to boost Mysterio as a villain in the movie. And it's it's brilliant. It to me, it was so brilliant what they did with the character. It's so different, but again. One of the, and one of the things I, I talked about, and I'll bring up my friend Dave, a.k.a. Father's Figures on Instagram and Twitter. Shameless plugs for my buddy. Um, he, he texted me on his honeymoon. That is not a good idea, Dave. You should be reprimanded <laughs> for that. But he had he wanted to know what I uh, thought about uh, Far From Home. And I talked about Jake Gyllenhaal. And I'll get back to my, my his character in a minute. But I talked about how 
you know, I, I liked his performance, but he hammed it up a little bit. And that I, I just didn't it didn't like really resonate with me as much as I wanted it to. It wasn't bad, but I just felt like it was a little hammed up a little bit. And he said, well, dude, that's that's Quentin Beck. That's like that's the actor, you know, and I'm like, you know, that's a very, very valid point. And like when that when he told me that and they went right back to he said, I got to go dark now. I said, I understand. So uh, but when he told me that, I said, holy crap, he's right. That's the actor. Well, that's the bravado yeah. of. And even though. Beck. Yeah. And even though this version of Quentin Beck is not an actor, he very he makes it very clear in that bar scene after Peter has left and he has the glasses that he's clearly frustrated over not being seen. You know, mm. he talks about. You know, he has that line about it and how it doesn't matter if you're the smartest guy in the room. You know, you got to be the guy with like the cape and whatever else for people to actually see you and listen to you. And so that tells you that Quentin Beck wants to be seen and he wants to be heard. He doesn't want to be the guy who's off to the side of the stage while Tony Stark is presenting something. He wants to be the guy on the stage. And so the guy who wants to be on the stage, He's probably going to be a hammy guy. Once uh, uh, He's going to ham it up a bit once he gets going and once he gets revved up. And that's what we see mm. with Quentin Beck. And so I actually, I thought he did a really good job. I, I totally see where you're coming from. Where With me, it goes back to balance, and I see him going right up to the line but not stepping over it uh, in, yeah. as far as his performance. And that's what I enjoyed about it. I mean, I was cracking up when he was basically directing uh, William, Peter Billington's yeah. character, like, let's uh, let's double the damage. Um, <laughs> and yes, then, you know, yes, when he's getting yes. ready later, like, oh, let's make sure I, you know, I could be meeting the queen in an hour, like, make sure the wrinkles are out of that cape. Like, I just, all of that stuff, director slash producer, Quentin Beck, uh, I was I was loving it. Mm-hmm. No, and that's, I think when, when I kind of talked to him and when I, when I thought back to it, I, I bought it even more. Now, now I want be very clear, I really did love his performance. I, I, I love Mysterio in this movie, but it just, I felt that was my one criticism. And what, once he kind of explained that to me, I went, wait a minute, that makes sense. But as far as the powers of Mysterio, of how they, again, because I thought he was going to be more like an Iron Man kind of character, like he'd have a suit, et cetera, et cetera, which he still does. He still technically has a suit that has some of those powers on it. But they were all, it's all basically the same character from the comic books. He uses literally illusions like to fight and even the damage to everything around him is almost is pretty much borderline fake and it was like wow like that makes a lot of sense and the drone idea was brilliant instead of having smoke which again he still uses smoke for trickery and whatnot he still uses the drones to you know to give out that projections of having you know the monsters or whatever that he that the gas would then make you hallucinate or whatever or create that illusion but that was all still there it was a perfect blend of updating and also giving the character more more of a, a a better backstory to be honest i mean we talked about the ideas of having uh these different villains of having different villains and whatnot but what I love about Vulture and Mysterio is that the MCU has made these characters better. There's a better backstory. I love these way more. Quentin Beck being a disgruntled Stark employee that he's, and again, he has the brilliant mind of creating these hologram, uh, realistic hologram I- ideas. 
and they're that he's the one that created that and doesn't get any credit and that's what's fueling his fire and now he'll have hatred for spider-man because he again he has the he's the heir apparent to iron man that he, he can already resent but he also has that history now that he can you know he can resent him that you basically ruined my whole plan so i love all of that and i again i go back to the continuity aspect using something that they had in civil war and being kind of an offshoot kind of a thing, kind of a, a they needed a reason to have the, the kind of set up the, the mom and dad in Civil War. They use that later on for Mysterio. I don't know if that was purposeful. I don't know if that was pre-planned, but it was freaking genius. And I loved it. And, I, and again, the fact they're able to do that in these movies and they're and they're using these things all over the MC there's there's tons of examples even with Ultron and uh with Ultron and um Jarvis the fact that Jarvis turned into Vision using all these different ways to kind of bring in different characters it was genius and it's maybe it may not be the exact comic book uh traditional uh method of what they what they were came from but it works and it works so well and i i just love the way that Kevin Feige and the MCU writers and and, and brain trust, if you will, and I'm not sure. I, I I I would assume it all comes from Kevin Feige, but or a lot of it does. But the fact that they're able to take that offshoot one thing and and again, all the other characters from the uh, Tony Stark, um, you know, movies and whatnot, and bring it into Mysterio was genius, and I just love that. And I think that that really should not. That's one of the most underrated aspects, yeah. I think, of the MCU. Well, it might have been Feige, but it, it may not have been. I mean, writers have kind of talked about that sometimes, you know, Marcus and McFeely have, have told various stories of there were things that they wanted to go back to and pull from, and then Kevin's like, yeah, good idea. Uh, you know, yeah. I, so I don't, it, maybe it came from him, maybe it came from Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, could have come from, uh, you know, anybody on the creative team, or, or John Watts being like, "Why? Don't, what if we went back to this? And everybody goes, okay, well, that's a good idea. And, and yeah, I mean, to that point, you have such rich history now with the MCU, and why not take advantage of it? Not everything is planned out. I don't think when they were writing up Barf in Captain America Civil War, they're like, this is how we're going to do Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. I mean, maybe, but I doubt it. But when you have those kinds of things available, that's just how you take all of the clever decisions you've made in the past, and you get to use those to make additional clever decisions in the, f- in the present and the future uh, to improve your stories to have th- to, and to have things fit uh, that much more organically in your timeline. And I love the way they used all that kind of stuff uh, for Mysterio. And I even love the way, and I was interested in what you thought about this, the way they actually showed the flashbacks, because we don't normally see a lot of that in the MCU. Uh, we don't typically see... Like when they're talking, you know, in previous versions of this, you know, not this specific movie, but when we see callbacks to other movies, we usually just get the dialogue. We don't necessarily get, oh, here's Quentin Beck off the off to the side of the stage in Captain America Civil War. Here's that moment all the way back in Iron Man 1 where Obadiah Stane was yelling at this William guy. It actually reminded me of the editor's note in Marvel Comics. I mean, I know other books do it as well, but like Stan started doing that a lot in the Marvel Age of Comics in the idea of here's how here's where you can go and you can look that up. If you're not sure where we're referring to, we're going to actually show you a little piece of it. And I think that's really smart for Marvel Studios to do that. I don't know how much of that they're going to do going forward, but I, I think I think it was smart to actually show people uh, very briefly, where these uh, particular moments that they were referring to actually came from, because you got to know that with the performance of Endgame, 
Uh, and then Infinity War last year, there are more eyes on the MCU than ever. And so maybe it's harder to trust, uh, naturally, it's harder to trust that everybody's caught up on everything. So I like the little almost editor's note style flashbacks to just to, in terms of the execution and making sure everybody knew what was going on. Yeah, I think that you you brought up a great point that, that there is a rich history now. It's not just they, they've created so you know over 10 years now of continuity and again i love the idea that they're just going to build off that they're not going to you know reboot everything you know we have to reboot it like kevin feige is doing something that's it's he's taking marvel the continuity idea of comic books of intertwining things and building off of it and really showing a mainstream audience this is what happens in comic books again Mm -hmm. that's why i brought up the the again shamelessly shamelessly brought up the patreon show where we we look at and read retconning as it goes and like it makes it better there's ways or using the continuity to em- embrace things now granted using the continuity that you have before you or have that you already have is nothing new but making things that are really small and making them bigger and intertwining things and making someone related to, related to this or this or for whatever reason the MCU has done it in a, a, in a really flawless way that's like the comic books. The writers that have grown up on these comic books and, and would eventually become writers themselves, like Roger Stern we talked about in the last show, the Patreon show, is that they they grew up and they understood where to move, where the strengths of retconning that usually is. And now we're seeing the writers from the MCU that Marcus McFeely, they're kind of like the brain trust, the kind of the, the, the OGs, if you will, of, of kind of doing this. And other writers are, are going to be able to pick and choose like, oh, we can use this from maybe from the whatever. Or it, there's going to be lots of cool different things we can use. So I, I just love what Mysterio's origin from all this. And I think that I really – and again, it made me invest in the character even more. I, I think that I would have – I was invested in, in Jake Gyllenhaal because he's a great – he's a great actor. But at the same time – it that made me love Mysterio even more so. It's it a lot. Look at it like um, again. Look at Vulture from the first film. We love Vulture. He's a he's a lot different character than he is from the comic books. But what is he doing? He's literally taking the parts of these different uh, Avengers villains and selling them on the black market. He's being a literal Vulture. It's just it's it's genius. And so. Like, you know, taking the scraps and things of like that and then, you know, using them for his own gain. And again, Mysterio taking this this brilliant mind that we would take a brilliant mind like, you know, to make all these things. The even gas hallucinogens is a genius thing, right? Well, why don't you just update that, make it technology based from a video standpoint, holograms. And then there you go. And then you tie it in with Tony Stark. It's just brilliant. It's yeah. really brilliant and I stuff. Think, yeah. And, and Mysterio also used tech before in the comics, not this level of stuff that we saw here in uh, in Spider-Man Far From Home, obviously, but Let's take the resources that are available in the MCU, and they did it in a way where you know they used what they had to make it make sense. And the illusions were incredible. I mean, Mysterio as a character, totally on board with. Love the way Jake Gyllenhaal played him. Love the whole backstory, the way he fits into the bigger puzzle of the MCU. All that stuff's great. But man, when he does that, that especially that first big illusion sequence in Berlin. Um, the one with zombie Iron Man, that was incredible. That whole sequence, that was one of the moments where as I was watching, I was like, oh, Paul's going to love this. Like, oh, <laughs> it yeah. was just 
so good. Like Spider-Man getting dogpiled on by like other guys being other Spider-Men and like yep. having to fight Mysterio and then having like a snow globe that becomes Mysterio's head that he lifts off of him. Like just visually so trippy and weird and incredible. Goes back into, as we talked about on that book club, on that Marvel Unlimited book club episode, like Stanley's not necessarily real life love but fictional narrative love of psychedelic visuals uh be it in mysterio or dr strange in the 60s like there's just so much cool stuff and even the zombie iron man is like whoa i wasn't expecting to see that yeah. in uh, in this one like this is super dark they have like this zombie iron man where you actually see on one half of his face you see the skull like with the spider crawling like I, I wasn't expecting visuals like that. I wasn't expecting that kind of thing. When I was thinking with Mysterio and Illu- with Illusions, like, okay, maybe these elementals will turn out to be fake. I don't know how, but maybe they'll be fake. Uh, but I wasn't expecting this kind of sequence. And there's not even a hint of them in uh, in the trailers for Spider-Man Far From Home. And I'm so glad that there weren't any hints of this because it just totally caught me by surprise. I was completely floored by it. The other stuff was great, too. I mean, obviously, in the finale, we got more of those kinds of things. But uh, the more extended version of it that we had in the uh, Berlin sequence was just unbelievable. I loved every second of it. Well, and, and we talked about it in the comic books, right? All That whole sequence, Sean, reminded me of the John Romita issue, 66 and 67, yeah. I believe. You know, we cover that in the, uh, in the, in the Patreon uh, credits or whatever, the book club. And it, it took me right there. Like, to me... I felt like they used those two issues that we talked about like to basically put on the screen because it felt like you even see like the, the fun house thing that they talk that they, that we see in those, in those issues to me, that was, they, they took those two issues and they put it on the screen and that was phenomenal. It was that, that whole end sequence was so cool and I loved it. It was perfect. And I thought that Jake did a great job performing the voiceover from Jake was Mm -hmm. great. Uh, I lo- the, the special effects was great. Again, you got a little dark. It just, it was a different feel. And I loved, I just, again, we were, we've seen, you know, the, the scarecrow from Batman begins and this is like, takes that to like a giant whole nother dimension. Right. So it, it was, it was really cool what they did. And, and again, showing that the fact that these drones are creating this and he can't tell the difference and you, it's so hard and, and giving us the example of why it would be hard. So, uh, yeah, there's, that was incredible. That might be my favorite part of the movie. That in the very end when Spider-Man is fighting the drones to get to Mysterio, which we'll get to that in a second. But but yeah, I I loved, loved that part. And then, see, just talking about it makes me want to go see it again. Like, And this is why I'm saying, like, I don't know I can say that I, I, I don't know if I love it yet because I didn't go out loving it. But when I talk about it more, the more I get excited about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so good. I mean, I – that was – I mean, I was already really enjoying it. But when I got to that sequence in Berlin, I was like, okay, well – the reveal with the Tony Stark stuff, and then of course, you know, my love for it was building with all of, with Peter Parker's arc throughout the movie. But then, the Mysterio turn and what that actually was—that uh, was where I was really starting to fall in love with the movie. And then this sequence was like, okay, I'm head over heels with this thing. Like I, I'm not worried about where it measures up as far as you know the more. Not so much the idea of favorites, but the more objective list of what do I think is the best. I, I don't care about that stuff anyway right now. I'm just, I'm loving what this movie is showing me. I'm loving that this is the kind of stuff where Marvel Studios, again, shows zero fear when it comes to the kinds of things that they will put in these movies. Because I wasn't expecting, I knew this kind of, obviously as somebody who's read comics with Mysterio and knows things like this can happen, 
there's a difference between knowing it can happen versus actually expecting Marvel Studios to do it. And because there was no hint of it in any of the marketing, I wasn't expecting them to take this approach with these kinds of sequences. And it was so great. And everything about it was so clever in the way that it's plotted out, even the way the way that Beck does it in terms of his illusion to find out who knows about all of his illusions to find out who Peter Parker told who else knows besides Peter and MJ the way he stages it even from the very beginning shooting Nick Fury having the entire image melt away except Nick Fury as if he's also a victim in it so that way when Nick Fury shoots him uh, or Pete makes Peter Peter thinks it's over and then it's not and of course he gets hit by a train but not unlike by the way Go back to Amazing Spider-Man issue 13. First showdown between Spider-Man and Mysterio, Mysterio won. So, like, I just, there's a lot of that that I just, I, oh, man, I, I was just, like I said, head over heels with it. I, I just absolutely loved the way all of that was constructed uh, in terms of the story, the plotting of it, what it means for Quentin Beck and how smart and how uh, how clever he was, um, and just how the way he preyed on uh, Peter Parker's emotional state the entire time. Like, he... He just knew, he read Peter Parker perfectly, knew exactly what Peter Parker needed to see and hear in order to gain his trust, and then also knew exactly how to uh, how to pick him apart when the time came. And even though Peter knew what the deal was with Quentin Beck, uh, that Peter still just wasn't ready to, uh, to handle this guy. Uh, and it was just, it was perfectly executed, at least, certainly in that sequence. Yeah, I, I think that there's, we talk about, you know, again, the idea of Spider-Man, what makes Spider-Man tick, right? Like what what is the core of Spider-Man that that I love? And I talked about how he's just, he's constantly a hero, and, and eventually he will give in to his with great power. Great with, comes with great responsibility, and he'll be that determination no matter what. He will overcome whatever odds that's thrown at him. Again, the perver- the proverbial he's lifting the rocks over his shoulder. He finally the get free kind of a thing, right? We got that in the homecoming movie and in this, we got something similar and I'm curious what your audience reaction was to this, Sean, hmm. the end, the end sequence when he's fighting uh, Mysterio and he's, <laughs> and Mysterio is in his uh, uh, CGI uh, motion capture mm-hmm. outfit, which by the way, I, I didn't like at first I'm like, oh come on, put on the costume. But after a while I'm like, that's actually pretty hilarious. I, I love this. I, so Well, I love it that it's also like this um in its own kind of meta way. Like this is what a lot of these actors are wearing to make these movies. And so like, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of love the way it's it's its own little behind the scenes thing of how these heroes are, are created on, you know, on a big screen for an audience to see that Mysterio kind of uh, kind of mimics that. I don't. He's not consciously doing it. He's not trying to look like a superhero movie because they have actual superheroes in this world. Uh, but I, I still kind of I loved that parallel. Yeah, exactly. So, what I in this in this sequence specifically, I really captured. I thought Spider Man to a, to a, to a T. And again, it's this is not a direct moment from any I think specific comic book or. But again, it's the essence that I feel they get Spider Man that there's. And again, it's not just him being the hero. It's him just doing, going above and beyond and, and using and, and fighting and keep fighting. It's when he has the drones and he's just going through all the different drones. And it's just like, it's just insane how the, they break it down and how he keeps throwing. He just keeps throwing all these different drones at him. That he, it's, and again, and he's struggling. Like he, It's not like he's, he's just doing it with ease. 
Spider-Man is struggling to get these drones out, and he's just barely getting in through. And he finally gets through and defeats Mysterio. And when he, when he, or when he finally got through and destroyed all the drones, my whole audience clapped. And I'm curious if yours did because it, there, what the way they shot it, there was a sense of like, like uh, he did it, like there, it was almost impossible. And I thought it was really beautifully done. I was, I even I was like, wow, that was. Okay, and it, the way they made it seem like there was a just gr- giant moment of like he finally did it. He got through the way mm-hmm. he finally needed to to get through. Again, that lifting the rocks over his shoulder or over you know over himself. It was that moment in the movie that he finally got you know he got through. I don't know if you got the same feeling that I did or your audience did. I mean, but I to, I loved yeah. a lot of that stuff. I mean, right. visually, like on the surface, if you tell me it's Spider Man versus an army of drones, I'm like, really. Um, but then in actually watching it, I mean, it made some of the best looking Spider-Man action I've ever seen. Um, and you know, the way it, it challenged Peter Parker, even before like the, the, the final showdown sequence with Mysterio, just him going through the drones to kind of expose them and, and undo, uh, the dam or try and stop them from doing all the damage that they were doing. I thought all of that sequence was great where the audience actually kind of revved up was when he picked up the tower bridge sign like a shield and then also had the little bombs, you know, the little detonators that he had put together. And and I think people cheered with that. I don't know. I mean, I'm, this is my dime store psychoanalysis of it, but I almost felt like, you know, it is kind of endgame-y. Uh, like it is, it is almost kind of cappy in that moment, the way like, cause how the way he had the broken shield and was twirling the hammer. Um, so maybe that's why people kind of, uh, cheered for it. Oh, speaking of like cap references, happy throwing the shield was amazing. Oh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> How does cap do that? Uh, oh man. That was oh, great. So fantastic. Um, but no, like the people definitely reacted when, uh, the biggest reaction I think during that moment was, yeah, Peter holding up the tower bridge sign and then, you know, having those bombs. Uh, but the other thing was, uh, the moment where, um, he actually, you know, stop. Well, he doesn't stop the bullet. He redirects the gun and is, is holding onto the gun uh, for that final reveal of Mysterio. And, and people mm-hmm. really uh, responded to that. But that's part of what I love about it. I mean, if if I were to nitpick a little bit in the final action sequence, because I do think as far as it's, it's not like I, I think everything about this movie is perfect. I do think there are some pacing issues in the first act. I just don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know how you fix them because I feel like the stuff that is happening kind of needs to happen. Um, so, I mean, I could certainly try and reconfigure it, but they're smarter than me and, and whatever. But there's the movie ha- has a lot of heavy lifting to do in the first act, and, and I think sometimes it, it gets to be a, a little too much. Um, but... The the other nitpick that I I have about that's that's probably the first act pacing is probably a little more than a nitpick, but I do have a little bit of a nitpick uh, in the final action sequence where I probably would have cut out a minute or two of pure drone fight and transferred that into making the Mysterio and Peter Parker showdown longer. Um, and I know there's a risk with that because they already did that big illusion sequence in Berlin and they don't want it to feel too repetitive. But I still feel like I wanted a little bit more time of Peter Parker versus Quentin Beck, uh, not just in terms of the physical confrontation, but also the emotional confrontation and the dialogue. Um, you know, some of the stuff that Peter Parker just like the um, the Web of Spider-Man issue that we read for extra credit on that book club uh, episode. Some of the stuff that he was saying to Mysterio in that um, I wish uh, you know for Peter to actually put some of that into words. 
uh, mm-hmm. would have been, uh, I think, would have been great. But I still loved what he was doing because I, I know what he was doing because he said what he was going to do uh, back when he was on the plane with Happy. And that actually feeds back into Peter Parker's arc, which is trusting himself, trusting that he's capable, that he's good, that he's already good enough. Um, it's the Peter tingle, the spider sense. Like, that's what he's relying on. He's learning to just rely on himself, not on what, what other help he thinks he needs or what other myth he thinks he's been uh, a part of, but just relying on himself, relying on abilities that he knows he has, what he knows he's capable of to get the job done. And that's how he gets through to Mysterio. So that is a huge part of, of fulfilling his arc. So when the action feeds into the character, uh, that's why it's only a nitpick because the action still feeds into his character arc in this movie. And so I really enjoyed it. Um, and this was a really long answer to how audiences responded to specific moments, but, it's all good. Hey, but I think it's, that's, but I yeah. think that's why, like, I think that's what was building. And so when people see him kind of catch the, catch the gun uh, and redirect it, so that way Mysterio's, you know, last or what they thought was their, his last effort to get at Peter Parker, uh, failed because Peter, uh, because of the old, uh, Peter Tingle. So we're talking about nitpicks and if you don't mind, I would like to talk about some of my, the minor gripes if, uh, sure. Know, yeah. As, as we're going long as we always do. Right? Oh, I mean, we're, it's, we're it's nowhere us. near the end game spoiler review. So we're fine. Well, well, right. But that was like, that's a, that's a barn burner all timer. But anyway, anyway, one of the things I'm, you probably disagree with me and it's fine, obviously, but I just, I don't like the vacation aspect. I, I, that's the more I thought about it, the more I think they could have easily put it in New York. And I miss New York. I'll be honest. I, I, as soon as I, I never thought I'd say that, but I did. Like, I didn't really care about the European stuff, in which, ironically, when I was in Minnesota for my friend's wedding, I was at my friend's house and we were watching European Vacation, which is very odd with, with Far From Home because they kind of go to the same places. But uh, anyway, but I, I just didn't care about it. I just I felt like they could have easily put it in New York and we could have done everything in New York. And I understand and I respect the fact that that the writers and, and Kevin Feige are tr- are giving us – again, we'll get more to the, the mid credit scene kind of is a big difference. But I, I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to give us something different and this is a different idea like Spider-Man – being on vacation and outside of New York City, which we really, really haven't had besides the Infinity War and Endgame films, but that or or whatever. But that being said, I just didn't. Really, it just it felt it felt that's where it gave the the patient issues. Like they had to give. There was there were some good jokes that I think they they drew from it, but I don't think it was really worth it to be honest. I felt they could have told the same story in New York and it could have been a lot tighter. And again, how it could have been tighter. Not my job because I'm not a writer that way. So, <laughs> I want, but for me, I feel it could have been a lot tighter if it was in New York and it weren't going jumping around in different locations all the time to like say we're in Venice and like again I was listening to another podcast um, and and they brought up a great point and they said that there was it's not like they they use these these locations so much that it became a part a character in the film. It's very like toned down. So. For me, it just it just kind of made the movie again. It gave the movie its pacing issues because you had to explain where they were going and they had to like give them in different situations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, it just felt very very unnatural, and I think that's where my main issue was. And I and again, I, I felt like it just there was moments that it just wasn't it just didn't really work. And I feel that if it was in New York, you could have told a tighter story with having more Aunt May, having more Happy, and having more instances with. Peter and trying to deal with everything. Again, we talk about being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. 
one of the things I think that they were trying to explain was that, you know, that is himself, but maybe they're now he's graduated and going to be that bigger part in the Avengers and being a, a more world traveler or universe traveler, if you will, that, th- that they, the far from home thing just didn't really play on that very much. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't really care for it. And so that would be like one of my, ma- my minor gripes. Um, well, just know, real quick on that subject. Yeah, um, I totally get where you're coming from on that. I think, I mean, I feel like they, you know, and this is more of what we'll talk about in the Patreon credit scene, but I, I feel like they're probably going to be pretty heavy New York next one. And so, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so I kind of understand where it's like, well, we just, we've had a lot of Spider-Man movies in New York already um, outside of the MCU. We had homecoming in New York. We're probably going to have another one of these in New York. Um, granted, you know, provided all sharing deals continue. Um, so let's go ahead and let's have one. Uh, let, let's have one that puts Spider-Man in, in unfamiliar settings. And I actually, I enjoy that, that part of it with Spider-Man far from home. Uh, I think the, the issue that I have where there are some pacing issues is things kind of slow down as they're, as they're going from place to place, you know, when we got to get them to Prague and there's got to be a rest stop and we got to have this bit where, uh, Peter Parker is being told by this woman to a 16 year old kid is being told by a woman to take his, his clothes off to try on a suit. If she made the suit right, he doesn't need to try it on. They know what he lo- they know his size. Like, come on, um, that part which it only it's only in the movie to set up a picture being taken by what's his name Brad uh, by uh, Brad yeah. Jones or whatever. So that that way, uh, you know, we have to have this whole drone strike thing. But I feel like there's probably a faster way to do that. Have something, exactly. you know, have some other. It doesn't have to be a scene created entirely for Brad to get a picture that Peter Parker needs to, you know, have a race from a phone. There's another way. There's probably another way to introduce because I know they have to introduce the drones and what they can do. So that way, when you see it later, it makes sense to you. Um, so you need to introduce the drones when they do in the movie. But I think there's a faster way. Uh, there's a faster way to do that because there's already other stuff that they have to do. Um, you know, having having to introduce the elementals and connect uh, Peter Parker with Quentin Beck in Venice, like okay, that's they've got to do that. But then we also have to have this other fight with the Molten Man, you know, the Fire Monster, and we have to do that because we need to have Spider Man and Mysterio actually fight together, so Mysterio gains Spider Man's trust to set up him giving the glasses. So when you already have things like that that have to happen then for other scenes, you've got to be really efficient with the time, and I feel like they could have drilled some of that down. It's not a significant problem. It's not enough for me to say I don't... Uh, it's, it's not something that... That's not necessarily going to be the reason uh, that would you know knock this movie down in my MCU rankings, although it can be because I have... With so many, so many of these movies, including this one being so good that if I am trying to uh, slot them, like... I do have to, I, I do end up having to split hairs and these are the kinds of hairs that I end up splitting is for you know it can be little things like this that's where for homecoming I'm not I'm not saying anything as far as you know which one I, I like more or the other I I'm, I'm not at a point where I'm ready to decide which one I like better than another better than the other but I I, I do feel like regardless of which one I end up liking more homecoming is a tighter film uh, where everything just kind of flows in the direction that it needs to, and it doesn't have uh, it doesn't really have moments where in this one where I feel like there are a couple moments where we don't need to spend quite as much time in this space uh, as as we are. But anyway, on with your on with your your next gripe. You know, and now I think you did a great job of explaining what 
of why the the problem is, we, you know, as far as why the trip was was there and or and why it didn't work. It's like you know, he had to get a picture with his pants off and with a girl, and then it just it just it just seemed like it was a little more contrived than it was than Homecoming. Homecoming felt very natural. Everything seemed to come, you know, at least again in my opinion. Things just seemed like more natural, whereas I felt like Homecoming, they try to give us and put us in situations with by using the trip to give us like these different ideas, like the bus thing and whatnot. It just didn't really that all didn't really work for me. Um, as far as other gripes, uh, I think this is no surprise. Maria Hill is just as dull as uh, except it's one, not her. The, yeah, right. But, but this Colby Smolders is Maria Hill just. Just I doesn't. Mean, you know. I have a hard. I have a hard time putting it against her because I just. It's a character that they just. You know, the materials never. The, the no. materials never been there either. Don't know. You know, if she would be. You know, uh, I don't know how much better she would be if the material was great. I think she would be though. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't think she's supported on the page. Right. I, I just there was just a couple moments of just again. I. I it just didn't have the great the best flow that I wanted. And again, and that's just coming. And again, I've only seen the movie once, but there just was, you know, I, I felt Zendaya was fine. I didn't think she was amazing. Oh, in this oh I liked her a lot. I liked her a lot in this one. Yeah, I, I thought, I, I thought her as MJ was pretty great. This is part of where you know, I think John Watts is able to drill to it and be really authentic is she and Tom Holland both do a, a great job of being the kids who are feeling everything about each other, but can't, verbalize can't articulate it to one another and there are so many reasons why you can't articulate to one another she actually gets that moment where she says like i don't really have you know the best time or the easiest time getting close to people i don't have the best experience getting close to people and Mm -hmm. so i i think uh, zendaya played that really well and i i think overall her whole thing with even when she feels like she's in control like there's she has those cracks where she really you realize that you know, some of this is it's it's very much her, but there's also a little bit of a layer of persona to it. You know, like she says, "Oh, you're you're Spider Man." It's obvious. And then when he actually confirms it to her, she's like, "Really? I was only like 67 percent sure." Like, I love that stuff, and I, and I thought she was so great in in all of those moments. I also loved, um, you know, just to throw just the smaller things that we're not going to spend as much time on. Also, really liked uh, Jacob Batalon and, and Andrew Rice as uh, as Ned and Betty in this one, respectively their teenage couple thing was just so spot on with couples I had in high, like I knew in high school <laughs> that like it was mm-hmm. just so perfectly done. That's the stuff where I think John, I mean, I think John Watts gets the Spider-Man stuff and, and the Mysterio stuff too. But uh, what makes these movies feel uh, so genuine is it's a lot of how, uh, how the supporting characters are, are handled. And so, um, yeah, I, I, w- I thought they were all pretty much on the money, but uh, Zenday I, I really enjoyed in this one. Yeah, I, I think Ned and Betty were some of my like favorite characters. I it was really hilarious because when I was watching it and they became when they got off the, the plane and they were like we're we're you know we're a couple now and I'm like oh man I I laughed out loud so hard because of the way what the way it was written and everything, but what I loved about it too was from the, the comic book geek in me is that Betty and and Ned are married in the comic books and I I just kind of thought to myself. Yeah, well, no duh. She's they made her. No wonder they put Betty Brant. I was wondering why they put Betty Brant in the in the movie in the first place. I was like, that's weird. But now I'm like, oh, okay, they because because obviously they're gonna play off that still in the third film. But yeah, I think oh they they put these two characters together, which they are married in the comic books, uh, obviously, and 
but they're also very different characters in the in the comic books too. But I thought I really liked them in the movie. I thought they were actually one of the better uh, bright spots as far as far as the kids go. I thought they really underutilized Flash. I thought Flash was a much more entertaining character in the first one than this one. I felt he, they really like kind of doled him down in this. I don't know. I, I felt like it was there. I mean, him always talking to his flash mob um, was like, I thought that was good stuff. Giving him <laughs> yeah. a moment, sticking up for Spider-Man. But what I, what I also loved about flash in this one is um, they actually made him a multi-dimensional character and they did it very quickly. You know, the way he, when everybody thinks they're going to die, everybody who's, uh, you know, in the tower, like, uh, with Happy and, and MJ and, and Ned and Betty and Flash is there too and they're all kind of having their confessions as they think they're about to die and how he just basically says like I try to do all these you know I try to do all the social media to get all these likes um, because of you know his own like insecurities and he just feels so alone and then when you get to the airport and he's the one kid whose parents don't come and pick him up um, like mm-hmm. I you know and just like oh is mom, is mom not coming and the driver's like nope uh, and you just see that with with Flash is that there is all of this like sarcasm. There is this, uh, you know, this bullying that he does with Peter Parker. But at the end of the day, like this is just a really sad, lonely kid uh, whose parents compensate for uh, compensate for their neglect with money as if that's going to do it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I just wish he was in it more because I actually, I actually really like this yeah, interpretation no, of, of Flash. Yeah. Because, and again, I, the reason why I like this interpretation is because he's not the physical bully that that the original Flash was. He's he's more the Flash that I dealt with in high school. Yeah, you know that the, the jerk, the guy that's like gonna give you crap and say these really awful things to you, and it's just you know thinks that you're beneath him, kind of a thing. And there's you know that that person exists, and that is too he's too true. I mean, it's. It's whatever, but uh, yeah, I, I really thought that was he. He's I just like the the updated version of Flash. I also love when when Peter knocked him out. That it, I wasn't a big fan of that bus scene necessarily. I thought it was a little over overdone in my opinion. But when he knocked out Flash, I laughed out loud. I was like, that's that's hilarious. That, yeah, that was Spider Man to me right there. Yeah, I I like and don't love the the bus scene because yeah for that similar reason like you've got to do something that sets up the drone but i also feel like it's the kind of thing where how can peter not just quickly say like don't do that and i also feel like for edith it's like man that's a pretty bad programming if you think that peter (laughs) that ai isn't intuitive at all if it thinks that peter parker actually means to kill brad um no uh so that that part was a little, as you said, contrived, a little, little far-fetched, and yeah, it's like, okay, we need something to show how the drones work. I would have liked a, a better version of that, uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I think those things, though, they're they're ultimately small in the grand scheme of things. Um, Absolutely, they're yeah. not enough. They're certainly not enough to weigh down everything that's uh, that's great about this movie, because. Uh, I'm here for I'm here for characters and I'm here for the story and the mm-hmm. story that they told with Peter Parker and with Quentin Beck was fantastic and the stuff we see and the reason we haven't uh, I haven't talked as much about Nick Fury and and uh, Maria Hill as much in this one yet anyway it's because it's obviously it it's based largely on the post credit scene and we are going to get to it um, but uh, well we're gonna we'll get to overall thoughts at the end so let's actually get into these credit scenes. I think both of these are all timers in the MCU. Like I loved both of them. So we have the mid credit scene uh, that picks up right where the, the film leaves off uh, as uh, it's Peter and or Spider-Man and MJ swinging through New York. 
And then uh, uh, Spider-Man drops her off. He's getting ready to go do his hero thing. And there's this breaking news report where Quentin Beck is outing. Uh, he's he's outing Spider-Man as being Peter Parker. But the person who's actually you know broadcasting all of this and sharing this information from the DailyBugle.net, J. Jonah Jameson, as played by J.K. Simmons, I cheered aloud at the press screening for this one. Like I popped huge for J.K. Simmons. Now they gave him a different look than what he had in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, and so uh, I I love what this means for Marvel Studios in so many different ways. Like I. I love that this means that when there's casting that's perfect, they don't need to change it just because they're, they're, you're worried about confusing timelines. Like, the Raimi films, they're far enough in the past that we don't have to worry about that. Like, J.K. Simmons is just perfect as J. Jonah Jameson. He's going to play that role in the MCU in this timeline just like he played it in the Raimi timeline. Like, I loved it. I love the whole Alex Jones type of take on J. Jonah Jameson, which the comic books have done... Uh, have, They've started making some of that transition. That's yep. also the approach uh, to Jameson in the Spider-Man PS4 video game. So the MCU isn't really inventing this, but they don't need to invent it. <laughs> it's, that's part mm-hmm. of what's beautiful about these characters is they, their mythology is built in so many different places. And Marvel Studios has the ability to do some of that building themselves while also just if something else, if something's been built elsewhere, they can go ahead and they can do it. I mean, there's other stuff from the video game as well. Like, they gave Spider-Man his selfie pose from the PS4 video game uh, as he was swinging through the city. I think even one of the suits is from the Spider-Man video game. I think, like, the Velocity suit was one of the suits that I saw in there, in addition to uh, the more traditional Iron Spider suit from the comics, because I know we we didn't really catch the talk about that yet. But anyway, mm. this mid credit scene I thought was unbelievable. Having Mysterio... I mean, now it makes me doubt the whole thing. Like, Peter checked when Mysterio was dead. Like, you know, is this real? And uh, Edith said all illusions are down. But they hacked Edith. Could they make Edith give Peter Parker false information? Probably. Um, Like, I don't know. I mean, I'd still... But even if Mysterio really is dead, um, the fact that he was able to do it this way, where it's like, well... Maybe uh, maybe I died, but I'm still going to get uh, Peter Parker one last time. And you saw that this was Mysterio's contingency plan, because even he, when he said, and when William was saying, like, people are realizing that this monster is fake, and, and uh, Quentin Beck says, they're seeing what I want them to see. So, like, even if this plan fails, Quentin Beck's plan was, I'm still going to frame Spider-Man, going all the way back to Amazing Spider-Man 13. So, uh, per, and using J. Jonah Jameson to help do it. Uh perfect uh it's very mm. faithful very faithful to the mythology and to the mm. original incarnation of the character and just completely shocking to have peter parker be outed and we're going to talk more about what that means in the patreon credit scene mm. but to end the mid credit scene that way with peter parker outed as spider-man not just the name but with his picture right there uh and J and jk simmons back as as j jonah jameson uh i just i mean come on how do you not just love the crap out of that i mean it's amazing Hmm. Hmm. There is a lot to talk about this mid credit scene. And that's why we have the Patreon uh, episode that I will be explaining most of my thoughts there. It blew me away. I was unfortunately semi-spoiled about J.K. Simmons coming back. It was, you know, it was just on Twitter. So, but they, I think the person who said it goes, I'm reading this. I I hope it's, I I don't know if it's true or it was just something that I just kind of caught a glimpse of. And I try to like downplay it. That's the one thing I, 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 I'm encouraging people. If you see something, just try to like, 
just throw it out of your mind. That's why I don't try to like yeah. go do spoilers or or I don't do trailers because I kind of almost think like out of sight, out of mind. Even if you get a glimpse of something, I try to be like, I don't know if that happened. What's you know whatever. It may not be right. It might be, but you know, don't if you don't make a big deal of it in your mind, you may not. You, you might forget. And I just almost forgot. And I remembered like, wait a minute. Oh, here it comes. And so it did. It did kind of spoil me a little bit, but it was still awesome and amazing and, and great. But the ramifications of all this is huge, and I got a lot to talk about with Mysterio as well. Uh, should I do that now, or should I wait for the Patreon credit? Uh, the Mysterio angle is fine. We'll save everything else for uh, okay for the Patreon. Well, you know what? I can't because it, it kind of ties in with okay. everything else. Okay. Well, there you too. go. So, uh, there you and go. I, so, and but, I and I know what you're probably tying into because I was thinking the same thing. So, okay. like, fair, fair I, I think I, I think I'm thinking the same thing. Well, we haven't uh, talked about this, obviously, people. No, so you're no, we have out a little bit. So, so um, no, yeah, I, I just this mid credit scene was fantastic. It's it's brilliant whether Mysterio is really dead or not. Um, mm-hmm. It's it works either way and clearly sets up a, a lot of exciting things for another Spider-Man movie and the overall future of the MCU. Because getting into this idea, right, of uh, Spider-Man being, uh, you know, one of the more prominent Avengers. And uh, that's another thing that we didn't talk about in the beginning is, you know, we, we had asked in our speculation show post Endgame, what are the Avengers? And, you know, that Jason in the Midtown High broadcast like brings that up, like, are the Avengers even a thing anymore? But they are. I mean, there people are still talking about the Avengers. So that team sort of exists. People just don't know exactly how at the moment. Uh, but anyway, the idea of Peter Parker being a prominent member of the Avengers, this is going to throw a little wrinkle into that idea. Even though Peter Parker is, is emerging from this film, feeling pretty good about his place in the world and his place as a hero, now all of a sudden that gets completely wrecked with that old uh, Peter Parker luck combined with a, a rather brilliant plan from Quentin Beck. So for the post credit scene, we have this revelation that uh, that Maria Hill, or that Nick Fury and Maria Hill were not Nick Fury and Maria Hill. They were Talos and his wife Soren, respectively, uh, Skrulls, whom we met in Captain Marvel. And I remember a lot of fan theories going around with the idea was, is Nick Fury going to be a Skrull in this Spider-Man movie? And while I thought maybe that was possible, I wasn't really all that sure about it. And then I really put it out of my head once the Skrulls turned out to be good in Captain Marvel. I thought, well, the Skrulls were good and they went off and did their thing. I think we'll see him again. But it really put the idea of Nick Fury being a Skrull off of my radar. Where something kind of started clicking for me was uh, when when there's a moment in the movie where Fury, Talos, is telling Maria Hill, Soren, about Kree sleeper cells uh, that are out there. And like, like I thought Kree sleeper cells were supposed to be confidential or the knowledge of that was supposed to be confidential. And I'm like, huh. So I'm like, well, that's interesting because Kree have nothing to do with Spider-Man. So that's definitely pointing at something that's coming up in another movie. Um, you know, presumably Captain Marvel, because she's the one who's got a lot to deal with when it comes to the Kree. But Seeing this revelation that uh, that they were scrolls all the time, that was fun and that was exciting. But it also, I mean, then the next bit is like, where's Nick Fury actually? It looks like he's doing like the phony Tahiti vacation that Coulson was doing on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But then he steps out from that and he's on a spaceship or a space station uh, that is staffed by a bunch of scrolls. And this is, I guess, the new normal for Nick Fury. I mean, the idea of him, I guess he's been 
somewhere within the last eight months, he's left Earth and he's gone out into space, uh, presumably after uh, in between Tony's funeral and the start of Spider-Man Far From Home. And this just points to so many things. Nick Fury ran S.H.I.E.L.D. on Earth, uh, which, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. being the thing that's uh, a defense that you use for defense, that you wait to be struck and you defend with your S.H.I.E.L.D. The sword being more of the, which you can defend with, but also being a very offensive weapon. Is this what Nick Fury's doing now? Is he creating sword or has he already created sword out in space? Uh, is that what's going to, is that what's happening? Is this spaceship or space station, is this going to be the MCU version of the peak? Um, does this mean that Nick Fury could be recruiting a team that could become the Ultimates, or could they become Alpha Flight, or could they become just another branch of the Avengers? All of these different uh, possibilities just started swirling through my mind of how just crazy and cosmic this could be. And uh, there are a couple other things that, but one of the best things about this post credit scene, besides just how exciting it is for the future of the MCU, is it actually makes Spider-Man Far From Home better. This is a better movie that makes more sense because Fury and Hill, whom we saw on Earth, were scrolls the whole time. Because one of the questions I had for Spider-Man Far From Home and the idea of uh, the idea of Fury being duped by Mysterio is I'm like, man, how gullible is Fury going to be in the MCU? Like he already had Hydra right under his nose and just had no idea in Captain America the Winter Soldier. And we understood that and we forgave him for that. But how's he gonna get duped by this guy claiming to be from the multiverse? Well, it's because it wasn't Fury who was duped. It was Talos. And I don't, while I have a lot of respect for Talos, I don't think he's quite uh, as good at being a spy. I mean, he's very good, obviously, as a shapeshifter. I don't, uh, but I don't consider him to be quite as smart and quite as skeptical as uh, as Nick Fury is in his approach to things. So all of that makes sense. But it also, it can change the way, like when you go back and watch Far From Home a second time, you know, it, it changed the way as I was thinking about it after seeing it the first time, but then watching it the second time, like, you kind of notice, and granted it's easier to notice because you know that that's not actually Nick Fury. Nick Fury is a little extra in this movie. Like, he's a little extra Fury in this movie. And I think that's because he's Talos' idea of Nick Fury. Because um, he is very Nick Fury. Like, he's very, like, Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury in this. Uh, it's not as nuanced of a portrayal of the character as we've seen in movies like Captain Marvel or even Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So, and I think that speaks to it. And that's why I think, because uh, that's what Talos would be. He can he can simulate Nick Fury and he can capture his, his recent memories, but there's also a part of Talos that I think thinks Nick Fury is cool and just kind of wanted to live up to the cool Nick Fury vibe, uh, the cool intimidating Nick Fury vibe. So all of that works. Um, the last thing I have to say about implications of this post-credit scene is I think this means that Captain Marvel 2 will be set in the present day, not in between Captain Mar the first Captain Marvel movie in 1995 and uh, when we catch up with her in Avengers Endgame or the her mid-credit scene in Captain Marvel, which happened in 2018. I think it will be a present-day movie for her because if there are still Kree sleeper cells, that means the Kree are still an issue. This, whether, this, might be, this could potentially prove to be an Inhumans reference, but even if it's not, if there are Kree sleeper cells in the MCU in the present day, then we know that Carol didn't take out the Kree, uh, or she did, you know, in between 1995 and 2018. So I don't know that Marvel. I mean, they could, but I don't expect Marvel to go back and tell a story. And I may end up being completely wrong about this, but I don't expect them to go back and tell a story uh, where Carol doesn't necessarily resolve her issues with the Kree. So if there's still a problem 
in now 2024 in the MCU, then I figure that's where uh, that's when Carol's movie is going to take place is after Spy- after Endgame and obviously after Spider-Man Far From Home. But yeah, yeah, I just I I love this scene so much. Yeah, it was I was pretty shocking when you kept saying all timer. I kept thinking I, I'll be honest, I, I expected something a little more uh, a little more extreme. But this the more I think about it, the more is there is a lot going on with. I do love the idea that Talos is is Nick Fury, and I love Ben Mendelsohn as Talos. By the way, oh, like, so good. I, I, like he like Ben Mendelsohn's amazing actor. I just want to see him. In a whole bunch of movies, it makes me want like Talos to be an Avenger almost at this point. To be honest, I love. I mean, he. If there's he, a if there's an Ultimates or Space Avengers type of team, you got to feel like he's on it. Yeah, exactly. Or Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe at yeah. some point, or, or or something like that. Maybe after Gun's done. But either way, there's this is huge because again, they definitely are setting up Sword, which again is the outer space region. I think they're going to be setting that up for Captain Marvel. I, I almost was wondering if they're setting up this the next kind of what's to be expected of the overall uh, whatever the next Marvel saga is going to be. But I think it's too early to tell at this point because it's only Spider-Man. But I think yeah, I think it's just a shift in strategy, you know, because Nick Fury, you know, sat back and wait on the you know, he anticipated greater threats coming, but he sat back and waited for them to come to Earth. Now he's out in space finding them like I don't know where they are, but I don't they're not in a space station just hovering above Earth, like in orbit above Earth, like. That idea of sword, I don't think is going to be the way they do it in the MCU. There might be a space station, but I think sword as an organization, if that's what this is, they're going to be proactive and they're going to be out patrolling, uh, looking to see who the next Thanos or whoever else might be uh, to take that threat before it actually gets to Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, there there was cool stuff. I, I totally – there were some audio problems in my theater because I had a hard time hearing something about Kree sleeper cells. So – that's where maybe some of my confusion might have been. I definitely the sound for my IMAX was not great, and I mm. it was wasn't yeah for whatever reason. And maybe I have bad hearings. I've I've been to too many shows in my in my day. But regardless, uh, yeah, it was a great. Um, I I love where it kind of leading to, and I think you you nailed it when you you kind of convinced me, Sean, when you said Captain Marvel's probably going to lean on more present day stuff, and they're setting up Captain Marvel too because that's going to be filming here very very soon. So. Yeah, I, I I'm all about it. I I love the idea of the, of getting sword and involved in, or AK or this form of Alpha Flight. No, Alpha Flight will always be the Canadian superhero team, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they call it. They have multiple names to choose from. So, uh, sword makes sense, though. I mean, I I mean, yeah, as far as the I Avengers mean, type of team, Ultimates, Alpha Flight, whatever, they'll pick one. Cool. I like. I'm I'm more partial to Ultimates if it's going to be a Space Avengers type of team. Um, so uh, I'll I'll root for that, but I do hope this is sword. I mean, maybe it's not. Uh, maybe they'll call it something different, but it's just perfect. We had shield in the MCU. Uh, now we'll have sword. But what's also interesting about this? I mean, this is why this scene is so good. Is it? It just changes so many different things about the way we understand certain elements. Remember, like another thing we talked about is well, was shield gonna because Nick Fury was back in Spider Man Far From Home? Did that mean that there was gonna be some sort of resurrected version of shield? And we don't really have that in Spider-Man Far From Home. And Nick Fury's not even on Earth in Spider-Man Far From Home. So maybe he's not even attempting to resurrect anything in on that kind of level uh, when it comes to S.H.I.E.L.D. in the MCU. Which means that we don't know what this means for uh, Sam and Bucky. 
what are they going to be a part of? Because people were thinking maybe Falcon and Winter Soldier would presumably be part of this new organization, whatever organization Nick Fury's got going on. But Nick Fury's out in space, so he's probably he may not end up dealing with Falcon and Bucky uh, in their series. So this creates a, a lot of fascinating questions for the MCU going forward, and that's exactly what it should do. As we have this final post-credit scene that wraps up the Infinity Saga and also points to you know the future is that we just have nothing but possibility. And it's not quite the same as Iron Man, where it's you know being uh, where we're talking about this bigger universe and, and we just don't know it yet. And and going through all of those things for Iron Man, we knew kind of where that was headed with the Avengers, but we still didn't had no idea of what it would ultimately become. Similar effect in this, although I mean we know how big this universe can be, and yet it can always get bigger and it can always get crazier and, and just even more cosmic. And I just, I love the way that there's, there's almost a little parallel, you know, of obviously giving Nick Fury the first post-credit scene in, in the Infinity Saga and the last post-credit scene in the Infinity Saga, uh, while creating just all kinds of questions uh, that will hope to be answered uh, in, I mean, maybe we'll get some answers just based on announcements at Comic-Con slash D23. Uh, I don't know, but my, my head is spinning after that post-credit scene. Uh, I just, I absolutely loved it. It, it was fantastic. And I, as I said, I think both of them are among the uh, the two best. These are two of the best uh, credit mid or post credit scenes that we've ever had uh, in the MCU. So, before we uh, wrap up and get ready for our Patreon credit scene, yes. any uh, last thoughts on yes. uh, or final overall impressions on Far From Home from you, Paul? You know, before I get, there's one more thing I want to add before for a little bit of, little bit of a like, and it's, it'll be my send off. But as far as the overall film. I think talking to you has really helped me kind of kind of wrap my head around a couple of things and kind of things that I, you know, I was having trouble like, what did I like about it? Because it didn't wasn't jiving with me as much as I as Homecoming did at first. But after talking about it, I've kind of, you know, found out some things like, OK, you're right. There was that part here that I liked or I didn't really like that very much. And this makes more sense why like the busting. I was like, what, what about this movie do I not like? And I, you know, because I didn't dislike a lot of stuff but i just didn't love a lot of stuff and i realized okay there's a lot of little things in the during the vacation that i, I just wasn't really into and that bus scene being one of them and but after talking to you about a lot of things that i do love about it I, it makes me more anxious to watch the movie again which is a rarity for me which means i like the movie a lot a lot so i think in closing I like this movie a lot, and I, I borderline could love it after I watch it a few more times. But as of right now, it's it's still in the the, the liked a lot category. But it could do, it definitely could be in the love category after a couple of viewings because I do love a lot about this uh, movie as we talked about it. The one thing I will add, I'll send off on, is that we haven't talked about yet. Even though it doesn't really pertain in in the reality of the MCU, but I love the six sixteen drop by uh, Mysterio in the movie. Yeah. Even though it's it's a script and it's not, it's not real and it's, the multiverse wasn't real, which I, I I predicted. I didn't think it was gonna happen. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's 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 bogus. Yeah. But uh, but the six sixteen drop was pretty cool, and I hope that we get more of that because that's that's my jam. Yeah, I mean the six uh, the six sixteen thing since it's. I mean, we didn't know that there was a multiverse in the, we besides the Doctor Strange multiverse. Uh, the characters in the MCU didn't know of the multiverse in the way that Mysterio defined it for them. So we don't have a in the MCU. It's not like they think of our Earth as six one six until Mysterio said so. So maybe that gets dismissed now in the MCU uh, since they don't necessarily think of a multiverse, another Earth in the multiverse. Um, 
But either way, just getting that. I mean, and there have been other 616 references in the MCU. It's been there. Um, it, there's one in Endgame. It's in 616, like, written on, like, the little storage oh, locker that Scott's in. I don't remember. Um, I don't so, yeah, there and there's one that, like, on Selvig's chalkboard and stuff. So th- there is the idea there, but to have it spoken aloud, um, I don't know. It still counts, even if Mysterio was full of crap. Yeah, we figured that the multiverse stuff would be full of crap. The only thing I remember saying on that show is I kind of hoped that there would be, even though Mysterio was lying, that there would be some truth to the idea of the multiverse existing in the MCU. But I'm fine that we didn't really get that in this movie because the stuff that we did get was outstanding and there were plenty of other things to be just as excited as I, about as I would have been with the multiverse. Overall, I really love Spider-Man Far From Home. I had a blast watching it. I know I commonly have a blast watching these movies and I love them. Uh, but that's because they do a good job. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, their consistency uh, with Marvel Studios, uh, with what they deliver with these films, you know, I don't think Spider-Man Far From Home is any slouch. I don't know where it's going to end up. don't care where it's going to end up in MCU rankings. I just know it's another chapter of this universe that I love so much, and I love this specific chapter. And I think it's a great way to bring the Infinity Saga to a close, with a movie that gets to serve as a bit of an epilogue, but also very much its own story. Um, And even though it's closing up the Infinity Saga, it's still pointing to enough other exciting things uh, in the next saga, the next era of the MCU. So uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, I think they they absolutely delivered. So just hats off to Tom Holland and Zendaya and Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, John Favreau, everybody, John Watts, Chris McKenna, Eric Summers, Feige, Victoria Alonso, the whole crew, uh, they did just another terrific job, and they continue to just have this unparalleled consistency in the quality of the films that they deliver, uh, as evidenced most recently now by uh, by Spider-Man Far From Home. I just can't wait to to watch it again and keep talking about this movie on the Patreon, <laughs> on all the stuff that we do, on all the shows that we're going to do, because uh, I feel like there's going to be plenty more to uh, to address with this film and what it's going to mean for the future. But up next for us will be the Patreon credit scene where we talk about the mid-credit scene of Far From Home in a little bit more detail. What do we think this means for a third Marvel Studios-produced Spider-Man solo film? So for more information on where you can get that kind of exclusive content, please visit patreon.com slash News. If you want to keep up with us socially, you can do that on Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. We also have our website, marvelstudiosnews.com. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's with the same name on Instagram as well. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 